0: The Pace Line is supported by LAL Cycling. Crafted in California, the LAL brand combines the latest technology with cycling tradition to deliver an experience that is authentically California. View their retail gear and custom program at LALcycling.com. That's E-L-I-E-L Cycling.com. And the Pace Line is supported by Health IQ. You ride your bike, you stay in shape, you deserve lower life insurance rates. Head over to their website, HealthIQ.com forward slash Pace and find out how much your riding can save you on premiums. Now, on to the show. You know, sometimes doing the pace line is a real pain in the butt.
1: On the first really big ride of the year, every single year, something happens, and that is I get a super sore ass. (laughs) I am just, my sit bones are aching, and I'm wondering, is that just me, or... Do you guys get the same thing?
0: We attempt to help Fatty with his problem, and the answers are surprisingly easy. Then we check in with a Paceline favorite. Rebecca Rush tells us about her changed outlook on cycling and life.
2: People have always asked me, adventure racing and ultra cycling, like, what are you looking for? What are you searching for? What, what is it out there? And I think I've always been kind of searching for a place that I belong and a sense of home. And this trip to, down the ho chi minh trail to find the place where my dad's plane was shot down in vietnam it was it was a way of me finding myself
1: Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Eldon Nelson, and I used to have a blog about bicycles. And with me is Michael Hotton, better known as Hottie, and he's the one who makes Patrick and me feel bad about our voices. Michael, how are you doing?
0: <laughs> Not true. Now, come on, guys.
1: A little confidence is all we need. No, here.
3: it's it's true. I feel bad about my voice. <laughs>
1: And that voice is Patrick Brady, the chief information security officer and publisher of Red Kite Prayer, which is where you can always find links, photos, and whatnot for this show. But mostly which whatnot. You f- <laughs> That's true. And you can find us on Google Play, on Stitcher, and SoundCloud, and most importantly, iTunes. And I'm going to beg for a second here. I'm going to... Uh, ask you to please go rate us (laughs) review us and if you say something awesome or even awesomely scathing about us we'll read it in the podcast for example and (laughs) this is going to come off as a little self-absorbed guys which is actually perfect because isn't that that what we do it is it it is apparently particularly what I do Uh, this is our very most recent uh, review on iTunes the title is Pretty Good Podcast, and it is a four-star review. And the reason it apparently is not a five-star review is this. It's a good podcast, but would be a better and far less annoying if Fatty was not so self-absorbed and completely into himself. It's to the point I don't care to listen anymore.
0: Oh.
1: Ouch. Um, I, I, would, I would agree that I am self-absorbed, but, um, but I'm far too self-absorbed to uh, consider that. Yeah, and to I would, do anything I, I, about it? <laughs> yeah, right. And I would totally
0: object. I mean, Patrick and I both come from like this newsy standpoint where we talk about things that have happened or gear or, you know, we kind of focus everything away. I think it's uh, part of the the, the the third part of this wheel. It's great to have somebody who says has the personal side of of cycling and what's going on in their life. So I would object to that comment altogether. We like the fact that Fatty talks
1: about himself and <laughs> nothing but himself well
0: i mean whether we
3: like it or not it's not like we're going to change it <laughs> here's
1: here's the irony I, I read this i agreed with this and we are talking about me <laughs> I, <laughs> I feel like i need to i need to offer ff medic 13 who is the author of that rating and a, a, like a double apology so um I'm going to, with that apology, completely fail to do anything about it because uh, all of the notes I have for this episode are about me. So <laughs> sorry, guys. Let's move on. Can we please move on? Let's talk um, about you. Let's do it. Let's talk about me and let's talk about early season riding. Um, I don't know how it is for you guys, but on the first really big ride of the year, Every single year, something happens, and that is I get a super sore ass. <laughs> it's, it, and I'm not talking about afterwards, I'm not talking about chafing or anything like that. I am talking about during the ride, two hours in or something, a you know, a distance that sh- doesn't really do a lot to me by the time I get into May or June. But in February, I am just my sit bones are aching, I, and I'm wondering. Is that just me, or do you guys get the same thing?
0: Absolutely get the same thing. Uh, Old Casadero (laughs) is not a long, long ride normally, on paper at least. You know, 51 miles, what, 4,500 feet of climbing, Patrick. But uh, after that particular race, um, ride, what have you, I was good and sore for two or three days. Now, some of it may have been I was on an unfamiliar bike. Not an unfamiliar bike. I have been riding the bike for a month. But I think really what it is – is the fact that during the winter or during the off-season, you're not sitting on the saddle or on your bike continuously for two-plus hours. You might ride for a bit, stop, have a bar, get back on and ride again, give yourself a little rest. When you do that first ride where you're sitting on the saddle for three and a half, four hours, man, that one's going to get you right away. And and second of all, I think uh, both of you have a little issue with applying a copious amounts of, of chamois cream when you guys go out on these rides, <laughs> me, I, I'm not afraid. I, I slather that stuff on to try to prevent any, any issue. Um, so now, I think it's those two issues at play there.
1: Hmm. I don't know about the chamois cream, um, because I don't get chafing. There, there was no issue for that. And and I would like to point out that on this ride, I was actually riding without even a chamois, much less chamois cream. Um, Wait, you so had no chamois I, on. You had no shammy yeah, on, you know. and you're complaining of Sh- soreness.
3: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> oh, no. out, I'm out. Yep. But uh, <laughs> I, you know, I was going to ask all these sensitive questions about, well, like, right. okay, how long have your rides in the basement been? Right. You know,
2: uh, your uh, well, You on right. a different
3: right. saddle? Right. You know, I, I was going to ask all these probing questions um, that showed Please, my no sensitivity probes. to your. We... Uh, okay, I'll leave the probes out of it, but uh, Thank verbal you. ones alone. But, you know, at a certain point, it's like, oh, wait, he didn't have a chamois on. Oh, well, there's your fix. <laughs> That's your solution.
1: Oh, well, you, you say that, but at the same time, you guys both suffer from the same thing in the first few rides or first big ride of the season, and you do use a chamois. So but, my lack but of no, a chamois no, is I not don't. the thing. I,
3: I, I only have butt soreness. If I'm on a saddle that is unfamiliar to me for upwards of three hours, it's got to be like three and a half, four or longer for me to get soreness. Um, There's one saddle on one bike that I own that I've realized I can't ride for more than four hours. And so I've got to swap that saddle out. But other than that, I don't have, I don't, I don't get but soreness. Um, Yeah,
1: I don't either. After I get past the first few rides. Right. The first few long rides. And I am sure. talking about this last Sunday, you know, about a three and a half hour ride. Mm. So.
3: And so you forgot your chamois again?
1: No, I didn't forget it. I just didn't wear it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a difference. Okay.
3: <laughs> well, wow. I, I just don't even know what question to ask next. I, I don't even know where to start. Was this, de- I, this was deliberate? You chose to go out on a no. long ride with no chamois?
1: No, it's it's cold out. But I don't like wearing tights over um, over a pair of shorts that have a chamois, and I don't have a good pair of tights that have a chamois. And actually, that's kind of where I wanted to go is I want a recommendation for a great pair of tights that have a great chamois. And I'm guessing you guys have that. Oh, no, well, there was,
3: there was a Pearl Azumi pair of tights that I reviewed uh, just this winter Just you know A month or so ago um, I, I, I know a guy I could send you a link um, they're, they're really wonderful <laughs>
1: um, yep. I will check them out Look
0: up I'll any of the major out. companies They all they all seem to make something With a chamois in it That is long-legged
1: that's Oh sure I'm, yeah. yeah I know they're out there I just want to know Which one should I get Well you, know, you could go full luxury And
3: get the expensive. Osos ones uh the the uh the Asos Tiburu uh uh bib tights, you know, with chamois, oh dude, uh those are amazing. And th- you know, they've got Habu, they've <clears throat> so they've got various grades of like, you know, just how warm do you need to be? Um, you know, and then on top of that it's like, you know, God's gift to chamois sewn in there.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. I, I will take out a second mortgage and get a pair.
3: Okay. Yeah. That, that should probably about cover it. You know, no. maybe, maybe two pairs for that.
1: All right. Fantastic. <laughs> Speaking of pains in the ass.
3: <laughs> oh, gosh. Where is this going?
1: I believe it's going to Mr. Lance Armstrong. Uh, <sighs> he, he has shown up in the news in at least three different ways uh, recently. Yeah. And I, know, I, I want to talk about all three, but briefly. Uh, first of all, he's racing this weekend at Old Pueblo with uh, a few guys from the old USPS team. And then in March, he is going to be racing in Bike Monkey's Fish Rock Mixed Road and Gravel Adventure Race. Yes. And then uh, as the third event in this rather unusual triathlon he is going to go to court. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> he's
0: going to ride to federal court. Yes. <laughs>
1: that, that's, I wonder, I wonder. So it, are these first two items in any way associated with this last item? Are they di- are they meant to be distractions and showing us what he really likes and getting us to talk about something other than the fact that he's going to court or is or or is that too premeditated?
3: he does seem to like to distract people from his bad news
1: Mm -hmm.
3: you know i've certainly i've certainly noticed that um you know i mean on one hand i do want to extend a certain uh, what's what's the word you know a little charity his way and mm-hmm. acknowledge, you know, the dude is a bike geek. I mean, he is he sure. is one of us. He loves riding bikes. And I'm I think we, we owe him, you know, the fairness, the decency of acknowledging that, you know, dude likes to go out and have a good hard bike ride. He knows that better than any of us, okay? Uh, you know, whatever else, whatever problems anyone might have with him, you know, he's a human being. He's, Mm -hmm. he's one of ours. He deserves the acknowledgement that he, you know, he loves to ride his bike and it's a wonderful compliment to bike monkey that he's chosen to do fish rock. And, you know, at a certain level, this is a good thing because it's going to help put fish rock on the map. It's going to get that event a whole lot more attention than it would garner otherwise. Um, Now, all that said, you know my my charitable contribution uh, has just ended because I can say for certain none of the locals want him to win. It's like go ride it, <laughs> knock yourself out, have a good time. Do not, under any circumstances, cross the line first.
1: <laughs>
3: hmm. um, but I mean, you know how it's- that's gonna go down, right?
1: Uh, I I don't. I don't. Oh, he doesn't.
3: He does not show up to anything to soft pedal. Come on. Are you new here?
1: Well, my, my, when you asked how is this going to go, I was like, well, I I don't know. I've never seen him outside of a professional bike race setting. Um, I know that he races to win. And would it, do you really, really want him to go out there and then back off at the end and let someone else win? Yes. You know, That's if there's
3: cr- if there's a yeah. group of 5 who's been drilling it all day and they get to the final K and an attack goes, yeah, mm-hmm. I want Lance to sit up. I want him to sit up, you know, nod, wave to the guys, whatever, or or lead out, you know, lead out the sprint and then pull mm-hmm. over and let the other guys have it. You know, he's had How his about- day.
1: How about Levi Leipheimer when he won the Crusher a few years ago? Should he have sat up and let someone finish ahead of him? Uh, I, I, you
3: know, I've been thinking about that. And, well, Michael, go ahead. Give us your take. No,
1: I
0: think that's a slightly different event, don't you, Patrick? Uh, uh, Crusher is more of a competition, I think. Isn't the Bike Monkey event just slightly more of a community, locals I event? I don't see
3: – I don't look at it through that lens. I don't see this as, uh, oh, because the event is different – the outcome should be different. Um, Levi, Levi has earned his place in this community. Says says the new guy. Okay, um, like I have any right to pass any judgment on you know a long-standing member of this community, um, but I'm just saying you know my knowledge of the community and how I see him, what his place in this community is. He it's it's a it's a different thing. He's got um, a different standing in the community um and I I think that there's something very different with Lance in that you know the spell has been broken um I was thinking mm. about this early this morning you know and specifically, you know why is it we're okay with Levi showing up to any bike monkey event and if he wins it, we're all okay okay with it. Part of it, I can say, is that they hand him the check at the end and then he turns around and hands it back to Carlos uh, to go back into the King Ridge, King Ridge Foundation. So he doesn't take any money out if he does win something. But I was reminded of that scene from Forgetting Sarah Marshall where uh, he's with Sarah Marshall and she has begun to do something adult to him and he says well maybe it's not working because my d doesn't like you anymore and that's kind of how i feel about lance armstrong as a racer um i just the spell's broken um Hmm. i don't want to see him race again i don't get upset watching levi race and part of that is you know how everything in the usada reason decision went down you know he wasn't he wasn't the a-hole to the community that lance has been and i think that that has allowed him a certain grace that lance has yet to find because he we know he hasn't really apologized to boatloads of people and you know Mm -hmm. he there are there are they are mea culpas yet to be performed and so his standing has not yet been restored in my head. And I mean, this is yeah. this is my take on how other people feel. So I could be wrong. I'm wrong four or five times a day.
1: <laughs> Sometimes before breakfast. Oh, um.
3: yeah. Well, I do try to get the first one out of the way. But I mean, you know, in all seriousness, I do think that, yeah, there's an objection uh, to Lance Racing because of how he conducted himself. And we're not over that yet. You know, this was the bad breakup. This wasn't, you know... You're really sweet. You're cute. This isn't working out. Let's go our separate ways. Uh, this is, wow, I don't want to see you again. Um, and
1: yeah, I'm just, interested in your take, Hottie.
0: Well, yeah.
3: Look, somebody else now.
0: Fatty and I had, a, <laughs> I had a conversation in your absence, Patrick, you were out for one of the podcasts about Lance and about uh, a possible change in the public perception of him. And I... Actually, the conversation centered on me. I told Fatty, confessed to Fatty, that I had started listening to Lance's podcast and enjoying it and finding it useful and interesting and insightful and actually good. I mean, the interviews and guests were quite good. And I wondered, I'm like, what am I doing? I felt dirty almost, (laughs) you know? And I asked Fatty at the time, I said, Fatty, is this okay that I'm listening to him as a cyclist and as somebody who was hurt? and felt wronged by him and what he did. And, you know, Fatty, as I recall, you told me, yeah, it's it's perfectly fine, because certainly Fatty, too, has experiences through Armstrong, through Livestrong, where, mm-hmm. Fatty, you devoted a lot of time and a lot of effort uh, based on what Lance had, had asked people to do for that foundation, and you felt certainly s- at least slighted in the end, and I wondered if this was okay is it okay to, to begin to accept Armstrong in certain circles again on in media or on his podcast or in bike races and I think it is okay I mean look at what's going on in baseball right now A Hall of Fame was just uh, inducted they just had their their voting and while Barry Bonds did not get uh, voted into the Hall of Fame his numbers are way up and he's getting close and he'll probably get in before his his time is up. You got 10 years, I think, to get, once you become eligible, you have 10 years to get into the hall. He'll probably get in, why? Because people change over time. And after a while you go, okay, I get that was a time and a place. And yeah, you screwed us bad. And you lied. And you did something wrong. But you're trying at least. You're trying to, to show that you're not somebody with horns coming out of your head. And that well, is, there's a, there's that a mitigating okay factor okay to all this. It's okay to, to be what you said, Patrick. He is a bike geek, and it's, he is, in the end, one of us. Yeah, yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, but there, there is a mitigating factor to all this. There is a, an asterisk, um, a coda, Uh, And that's this other piece of, you know, what we're going to talk about with him, which is he is really and truly headed for court. And so, you know, this is going to be the other shoe falling that will, you know, arguably, uh, I anticipate that this will be the thing that uh, puts the the concrete seal on his reputation uh, is how this court case goes. You know, his his legal team tried to have the case dismissed. They tried to go for summary judgment, uh, arguing that, you know, the USPS wasn't actually harmed, uh, that they got a lot out of the relationship, even though there was doping. And, you know, all of that has been rejected. It's like, nope, you're going to court. And we're talking about a potentially $100 million case. I do think that they have a case to make uh, for the idea that, the USPS was not actually harmed. Uh, I don't know of anyone who says, oh, I'm not going to mail a letter anymore because of Lance Armstrong. <laughs> I, You know, I, I mean, really, does? I mean, when people stop using the USPS, it's because they realize, oh, FedEx is more reliable. You know, it's it's because that there is a similar service that, you know, does the same thing more effectively. Not, oh, I hate Lance Armstrong, go brown. Um so the, the, you know that I, I just I really struggle with the idea that they were harmed by this. Uh, now, if they tried to sponsor another cycling team, would we all laugh? Yeah, you know, their their ability to so- sponsor a pro sports team has probably been damaged. But I, you know, I think I think Lance does have a case to make on that point. But ultimately, at some level, I'm strongly suspicious that he's going to lose this case to some degree. And then the real fireworks are going to start. You know, once this case is decided, um, you know, then it's going to come to blows with Nike and Akowitz and Steve Johnson, the former CEO for USA Cycling and Tom Weisel. That's when the real fireworks are going to be as those guys all start pointing at each other. No, you write the check. No, you write the check.
0: Well, I think the damage will happen before that. It's not the money, because I don't know that anybody can afford this. Lance is probably uh, the least of which can afford $100 million, which could be the, that's the potential judgment here. It's a $32 million lawsuit. And what you have at stake is something called treble damages. In other words, the damages can be tripled because the claim or the lawsuit is filed under the False Claims Act of the Federal Code, so that means damages can be tripled. In this case, Landis, uh, who, who Floyd Landis, who originally filed this case, stands to get about 25 percent of any judgment that is issued. And the way the case kind of worked was that the federal government enjoined Landis once they figured out that oh, the the people of this uh, of the United States of America were potentially harmed. Her they enjoined the case, and now they're they're pursuing it, which is tough, tough, a tough bit. for for Lance and the defendants. I mean, the federal government comes down on you, and it's it's tough going. But I think what the damage could be here is not the judgment itself, but what comes out in trial, what comes out in discovery, the facts and details behind the claim. That's what kind of really hurt Lance, because here he is, again, going to do Bike Monkey, going to do... Uh, Racing an old Pueblo doing his mm-hmm. podcast slowly but surely kind of building things back up for himself and if all this stuff starts coming out again about what happened with Tailwind what happened in U.S. Postal what happened on that team bus what happened in hotels blood bags uh, injections uh, EPO all the stuff that yes he's kind of admitted to already but the details and how he was directly involved everything that he has done to date, which hasn't been a lot but everything he's done today I think will get eroded and he'll be right back where he was when he was sitting in front of Oprah Winfrey. And yeah, he, that's no, really, that's because the, the judgment, he's not gonna be able to pay that. They're gonna have a judgment, even if it's short of the 32 million, he's not gonna have that money, he's just gonna go what? He's gonna go into bankruptcy and have to sell, he's not gonna be able to pay
1: anybody, right? Yeah. It, basically, he'll have to pull an OJ, right? Yeah. Where he can't make any more money because all of his money will be attached for the rest of his life. Um one thing we do know is that if he loses, uh, the HQ for Floyd's of Leadville will definitely see an upgrade. <laughs> That's right.
0: <true. laughs> yes. Very cool. Yes.
1: Just, but a th- just a thought. I've been there. I, I, I actually recorded a podcast there.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It was a good one, too. Um, <laughs>
1: a hobo wandered in and out during the recording of that episode. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> so
3: That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, no you perfect so hottie your your point about uh you know testimony and and whatnot that
0: discovery all that yeah
3: man the witness list already uh you know Landis Chris Carmichael Steve Johnson uh Armstrong's current girlfriend Anna Hansen his ex-wife Kristen oh, Armstrong it's... you know Tyler Hamilton will get called mm-hmm. uh, it's you know Wiesel will get called. Um, Lance is not going to go down, you know, without swinging. And Hmm. so the, the witness testimony in this case uh, is going to be, you know, one bombshell after another. Yep. Um, and I, I'm curious about, uh, Kristen Armstrong, uh, how much of that can be considered, uh, protected by spousal privilege because she's no longer married to him. I don't know how that works. Yeah. Um, so mm. it's, um, we should maybe talk to the explainer, um, and find sure. out about that. Charles will know.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So. There's
1: definitely, this is definitely, uh, I would say the preface that comes before chapter one in what is going to be a really long book. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, I-, I bet this is not the last time we talk about Lance Armstrong. That's my prediction. <laughs> it's not about the bike. It's about the lawyers. <laughs> Mm. Uh, let's leave it. Let's leave it at that for Indeed. right now. Yeah, that sounds good. Good to leave it. Leave it with something like that. We're going to take a quick break, and then Michael's going to be talking with someone who is seriously way too legit to quit. That's next on the pace line.
2: Well, Zulu is the man taking up the chase, and immediately after that is Lance Armstrong himself. Armstrong, wearing number one, was expecting the attack to come from man pa- Marco Pantani.
3: When my son was born, I realized I needed to finally get some life insurance. Um, I had neglected to do so so far in my life. And when I went shopping for it, I realized that even though I was an exceptionally fit cyclist, uh, none of the companies out there took that into account in setting my rates. Um, I got a physical and it didn't ask me any significant questions. Uh, But now there's a company that helps you secure better life insurance rates because you are a cyclist. Uh, Health IQ advocates for a healthy conscious lifestyle. They've used science and data to fight for lower rates on life insurance for the health conscious, including those who run, bike, and do other aerobic sports. In fact, research has shown that avid cyclists have a 45% lower cancer risk, 18% lower heart disease risk, and up to 28% lower risk of early death. Many cyclists don't realize they can get a special rate due to their active and healthy conscious lifestyle so health IQ has special rates with companies like New York life on life insurance for cyclists and other healthy conscious people uh, check out our show notes there's a link to their site um, health IQ/ paceline you can take their quizzes uh, see the questionnaires they've got a lot of information there health IQ.
1: The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels, Patrick, Hottie, and a very self-absorbed fatty of Red Kite Prayer fame. And this is the part where we have interviews, where we talk with legitimate bike people. And i picked the word legitimate extremely carefully because, Hottie, you're talking with Rebecca Rush, who I would consider the most all-around legit woman racer who uh, who is currently racing pro. Now, that's that's probably unfair to a lot of real legit women out there, but she has done so much and has done a lot to further the sport.
0: Yeah, um, I, I'm and I don't mean to be pandering in this way, I know it's gonna sound come off kind of weird, but uh, the women in racing right now, I think, I believe, are capturing my attention more than the men. Uh, I I heard your interview with Sonia Looney recently, and I went back Mm -hmm. and listened to it again for a couple of reasons, for her stories, for her uh, diet. Um, I was fascinated by what she was up to. Uh, The women's cross race this year at Worlds was much better than the men's race. I was totally engaged by that. It was just epic. And uh, every time I get around Rebecca back, even when I first, I mean, I remember I I made an appointment to get on – online with her one day because she was holding some type of uh, online seminar about about Leadville. Um, I've, I've just always been interested in what she's up to. And so when we ran into her at Winter Press Camp, I, I was just happy to see her and, of course, had to get with her. If you follow Rebecca, in fact, on social media, you have probably noticed a lot of fire personnel standing around her. That's because she <laughs> continues to keep up her services as a Ketchum firefighter. There's videos on her Facebook page showing her sliding down ladders in a hurry and what looks like an escape drill and a smashing through a wall with a sledgehammer. Here's the queen of pain dishing out some real pain. Ouch! (laughs) Yeah, that's Rebecca smashing <laughs> Good through a wall. Good <laughs> you know, She's in full turnouts, too, with the air tank on and everything. And what she's trying to do is cut a hole big enough for her to get through so she can obvi- obviously carry out some type of rescue. So pretty amazing, yeah. She was just bashing through this wall and-, and getting in. But it was just a drill, folks, just a drill. I
3: didn't realize that she could do something that would ratchet up my my respect for her physical prowess further than it already was. And yet, Oh look, it just happened.
0: Uh-huh. Well, we <laughs> of, Total we fan club here. At, at winter press camp. Um, and you know, guys, she's so cool. She goes out on the group rides, has genuine conversations with people she's with, does an excellent job of promoting the brands that back her. And Rebecca's public speaking, I'll have to say, whether that be in a one-on-one interview or to a large group of people, has shown market improvement. So let's catch up with the person who gave the Pace Line, in fact, an early boost, Rebecca Rush. We are here with Rebecca Rush. Hi. Welcome to sunny, warm California, Rebecca. It's
2: freezing here right now, actually.
0: I know, is great, oh, yeah. you know?
2: Puffy coat on and hat, but yeah, it's awesome. It was yeah. a killer ride today.
0: Yeah, we did have a nice ride yeah. today. Rebecca's been on the Pace Line before. We owe you a huge thanks because I think the show you were on, which was back in the summer sometime, is still our top downloaded show. That's great. Uh, I that like cool? winning.
2: I really like winning. So, no, it was it was cool. We talked about um, Dirty Kansas and gravel racing and all that. Yeah. So um, that was a fun time.
0: So thanks for supporting our show, and that's why we've had you back, because we need more downloads. So we're just going to have Rebecca on and okay. have more downloads. Okay, I can cool. help you with that. Yeah. Actually, there's a lot of new stuff going on in your life that we want to tell people about. First... You did a TED Talk.
2: I did do a TED Talk, which was one of the hardest things I've done in my life. My book that I wrote and this TED Talk are much harder than bike racing, <laughs> absolutely. Um, any sort of creative process like that, its I'm used to, as an athlete, the more time you put in, the more power you put to the pedals, you, you can just work harder, and there's a payoff. The creative um, aspect of things like TED Talks and books and writing. Uh, That doesn't work that way. The harder you try, you actually sit and just stare at the computer. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, the TED Talk was really challenging. It's the first time I've publicly talked about my trip down the Ho Chi Minh Trail uh, that I did in 2015. Now, TED
0: Talks have a theme. What was the theme of of your TED Talk?
2: The theme of this that I talked about, it's called Navigating Home. And it's a little bit about, you know, being a wanderer, living out of my car, um, you know, people have always asked me, adventure racing and ultra cycling, like, what are you looking for? What are you searching for? What, what is it out there? And I think I've always been kind of searching for a place that I belong and a sense of home. And this trip to, down the Ho Chi Minh Trail to find the place where my dad's plane was shot down in Vietnam, it was, it was a way of me finding myself. Um, and I've been, for 25 years, been an athlete and doing a lot of cool stuff, but I didn't really know I was looking for that um, until I got there. And, and so it's been, my cycling has actually brought me there, which was very cool. My, my job and what I chose as a profession and a passion actually uh, helped me find my dad, helped me find myself.
0: So the TED Talk is available. It's out right now. People it want is. to see you talk about... Your trip to Vietnam and that journey, that's that's out there right now. That's how do they, out now. How do it's called
2: it? Navigating Home, so you can Google my name and TED Talk. It's on my website as well, RebeccaRush.com. And, and, it, and it is, it's the precursor to a, a documentary film with Red Bull that we've been producing for a couple of years. It'll come out this year mm-hmm. um, called Blood Road, which is about the whole entire journey down the trail.
0: Yeah, that's the other big new thing happening for you. Give us the particulars on the film.
2: Yeah, you well, went to
0: Vietnam to make this and now where does it stand now?
2: Well yeah Vietnam, Laos and Cambodia uh, a lot of people don't know that's where the Ho Chi Minh Trail runs. It was very much a historical ride but also a really great place to ride a bicycle and very mm. beautiful part of the world and uh, we did do a, a feature length documentary with Red Bull Media House and it's been the tedious process of editing and getting it all ready to go but we've submitted to film festivals and we're just kind of, it'll premiere in March or April. We're waiting to see where We get in, and that will launch kind of a new evolution of my career. This summer will be a lot of um, film tours, film festivals. My goal is to have pop-up rides everywhere I go, and just kind of let people know, hey, come join me, come ride with me, come see the movie. So I'm crafting that now, and it's you know I'm at an evolution in my career where I still want to ride my bike a ton, but I also feel this is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to have a documentary film, and the story is really important for me to tell for. For cyclists, for military people, for any father, any daughter, so it's it's cool how my you know my racing has brought me to something that's a little deeper and a little bigger than just me.
0: Right. Uh, so, did you ride the complete trail, or how does that work? Is it is it a rideable trail?
2: Well, it's a it's a patchwork. You know, I put together the best historical representation and some of this. Some of the places where the trail went is is paved over. Some of it is still original cobblestone that was hand laid during the war. Some of it are just footpaths that are used by villagers. So it's a total hodgepodge. It's about two thousand miles. Um, I spent a month there, and you know it was it was an epic epic journey. Really amazing. Mm-hmm.
0: Did you find what you're looking for?
2: More than more than that, and people have said to me oh, it must have been nice closure. You know to to. F- go to your dad's crash site or to go look for that and to me it wasn't it wasn't closure it was an opening of getting to know him hearing stories about him meeting his best friend you know and then just seeing seeing what went on over there and meeting villagers and talking to them and and using my bike as you know the bike's a universal vehicle that everybody understands you know we're in the 200th anniversary year of the invention of the bicycle this year and Everybody understands traveling on a bicycle, especially in a country like Laos and Cambodia. That's the transportation they have. So you roll through their village and they've never seen anything like you, but they can understand you're traveling and you're, you know, whatever you're looking for, they understand the mode of travel. And that it was really special. And I, I came back from that trip a very different person, but also really inspired to do a lot more adventure biking and expedition riding and, you know, going and looking up. Other historical trails, and can I go ride the Silk Road? Can I ride the Lewis and Clark Trail? So it's also, I think, you know, the gift from my father was kind of the next evolution of my career that I'm really excited about doing a bunch of adventure riding. Are you telling us
0: the Queen of Pain <laughs> is maybe softening a little bit and turning into the Queen of Discovery or the Queen of? Fill I don't know. The blank I don't know if
2: 2,000 miles, you know, in in like really remote country, you know. I don't know if that's soft, um, but it's it's definitely different. And, and I'll, you know, people ask me, oh, when are you going to retire? And I'll, I'll never retire, and I'll just stop riding my bike. It's just an evolution of what's exciting for me right now, um, the stories I want to tell. And I feel like people are really responding to adventure cycling stories, like my trip up and down Kilimanjaro. And, you know, I love racing. I love to win, like we said at the beginning of the podcast, you know. We have the most downloaded podcast here uh, was my original episode. So, so yeah, I'm always be a competitor, but I'm also, yeah, really love using my bike to discover other parts of the world.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't ha- all have to be about how much drool you've left on your top tube or what time you set at some course. It yeah. could be some other thing that judges... Your queenness your yeah, and what I what think
2: right. I think that's important for people to understand that you know racing is awesome and it pushes us into places that we would never go, um, but it's also okay to expand your riding and i mean that's part of like you know the new bike from niner uh road less traveled rlt carbon it's about where do you want to go on your bike and do you want to go somewhere else and sure you can race that bike you can come to private idaho and and you know go for the cowboy hat win there but you can also take it you know on a journey and you know places that you never thought you could go Mm -hmm. and that's that fits with where I'm at in my riding right now. It's what's inspiring to me. And I think that's the key to being a long-term athlete. You're a lifetime athlete is to listen to what inspires you right now. People ask me, how do you pick races? How do you pick this? And like you have to pick based on something you're passionate about or a place you want to go or something that's motivating for you like for me to go do the Leadvilles if I didn't really want to go try to win Leadville it's just too damn hard and so you have to want to do what you're doing so it's important to listen to that little voice of like I wonder what Iceland's like or I wonder what Laos is like Mm -hmm. and you know that's where I'm at is is listening to another part of the voice of me that wants to go adventuring.
0: Let's get to the other new things that yeah. are involved in your life. You mentioned Niner. Now you've been on Niner actually three years now. Yeah. Maybe A lot of people remember you as a specialized athlete, but you've been with Niner now. But they've now provided you with a new bike. What are you riding now? What? What... What role is it fulfilling for you? Well,
2: a girl cannot just have one, one bike, but on um, the new bike that we're launching here that I'm super excited about. I feel like it was designed for me is the carbon RLT. Um and that's the road less travel. It's a gravel bike, and people are always like, What's the difference between a cross bike, a gravel bike? I mean, it's this really exciting segment of riding where now you know you are getting special specialized bicycles for each, you know, a bike that's the right tool for that job. And and the rlt is really i mean it's for races like rebecca's private idaho the 100 miler it's for somebody who wants to go do some long um long events but you still want speed you don't want to sacrifice and take you know a really heavy touring bike um you still you still like to go fast and you still like to rip down the hills and so i really feel like that bike is designed for me yeah and it's i think it's going to be awesome it's a really nice addition to the quiver you know and um, Mike from Niner made a really good comparison of like, what's the difference between a gravel bike and a cross bike? Because people are trying to figure out these definitions. And it's like a cross bike is, you know, if you take the road racing, it's like a crit bike on roads, mm-hmm. you know, but you're you're doing it on the dirt where you're just like fast cornering, you know, aggressive geometry. Whereas a gravel bike, you know, it's not that it's a it's not a big pig. It's not slow. It's just A little bit of a different ride Mm -hmm. with the weight down um, low to make it more stable you know you're going more in straight lines and you know maybe a 90 degree corner but you're not ripping around like you would um, on a cyclocross race and it's super exciting to have that bike more mud clearance you know it's got places to hang you know bags if you want to put them on the bike Um, and for me I don't have a road bike anymore. You know, I have two sets of wheels that I swap out on the RLT, whether, and you know, and I really leave the gravel wheels on there more often. But I think a lot of people are wanting to get off the road and wanting to go see what's around the next corner and have a little more solitude and quiet time while they're riding.
0: And another new company you're with is this, awesome.
2: this yeah. small
0: Swiss company Maybe. here that we've all seen on the road before.
2: It's super exciting because they actually cold called. They approached me and they said, look, you know, we want to get into mountain biking, women, um, you know, USA market. And like, we don't know anyone else that's doing all that stuff the way that you're doing. And so they totally reached out, you know, sight unseen. Um And we chatted about it. And what's really exciting for me is, you know, they have a very traditional European road heritage. Um, But the company was just purchased last year by an American guy. And he has daughters and he mountain bikes and he lives in the U.S. So he's like, all right, if we're going to do this, we have to address some of these other categories because that's Mm -hmm. what's growing. And so I'm actually really excited to be on the front end of something like that because I'm an entrepreneurial sort of person. And so I'll be able to have input on, you know, what my mountain bikers want, what, you know. What kind of stuff, you know, women's fit and all those kind of things. So Mm -hmm. it's super exciting, actually, that they're, they reached out. I was flattered and also really excited to, to, you know, be part of the change Mm -hmm. and development.
0: Cool. So four big things yeah. happening in your life Those right now, things. and then what's on the calendar? What are the big objectives on the, the Rush calendar? Big
2: Well, the super big objective is to put my focus in this film tour, so I do have to kind of um, it's hard to commit to a racing calendar right now because I need to keep that chunk open, but um, Colorado Trail Race uh, has been on my mind, Arizona Trail Race, the big bike packing events, you know, multi-day, self-support, um, that's the kind of stuff that's really exciting for me. I have my eye on Lewis and Clark as well, maybe uh, my own sort of a you know i don't know if anyone's ridden the Lewis and Clark trail i don't know if you can mm-hmm. um so that's on the radar of course rebecca's private idaho is labor day weekend we've already opened registration for that and we're already seeing record numbers so that'll that'll fill up and uh and i'll do I've kind of branded like where I'm going to go with all these appearances and pop-up rides and women's rides you know I'm big about you know getting women involved we're kind of rebranding that as um, join the rush so hashtag join the rush so people can find where's Rebecca doing I'm doing training camps in Idaho now too a gravel and a endurance mountain bike training camp so I'm kind of just putting a lot of things out there but they'll all fall under the join the rush sort of headline mm-hmm. so that people can figure out, oh, I want to do a training camp or a women's ride or a pop-up ride with Rebecca at the movie tour. Um, and then, of course, you, you know, we talked about the TED Talk. Um, I've gotten some feedback that, you know, I should do more public speaking. And, and you so <laughs> Thank you. Um, and it's a Big challenge. It's it's something that's a little bit out of my comfort zone, but I think just like I push people to race or go longer on their bike, um, I think sometimes the hardest things are the most rewarding. So I am going to put my efforts into doing maybe more speaking engagements.
0: Good. We'll keep pushing yourself and pushing others. Thank and you. Thanks for being on the pace line <laughs> Thank again.
2: You. All right. We'll see you soon. Okay. Let's go ride.
0: Again, that was Rebecca Rush, and we'll have links to all the stuff she mentioned in our show notes. But Fatty, you know her better than any of us, don't you? Get the feeling here that. The person we knew as a hardcore endurance athlete is showing us a completely different side.
1: I feel like it's more of an evolution uh, or a growth of what was there uh, for a long time. I mean, if you've read her Rush to Glory book, uh, you can see that there was a lot of that that was already there. I do know she's, uh, you know, the enthusiasm that uh, she was conveying throughout your uh, really good interview with her. Is not just something that, uh, you know, she turns on for the mic uh, or when she's in front of people. She's like that. Um, She is, you know, she's got uh, an enthusiasm and a love for whatever she is doing, whether, uh, you know, whether it's writing or talking or firefighting slash emt she is you know she is just she's into whatever she does um yeah she's a very she's she's always been a strong writer but increasingly she's an inspiring person so yeah great interview
0: that other side i'm i'm referring to did come out in that ted talk and i just want to play a Mm. quick bite from that uh i think that just will just uh, amaze you and hopefully encourage you to go listen to or watch rebecca's uh, ted talk
2: And now I know I've been navigating through life alone. That's what was wrong. I had a personal agenda, looking out for number one. And it wasn't working, I kept getting lost. I needed Dad, a navigator, to show me that the only way to fill the void that was missing in me was to open myself up to other people. And whatever I was searching for, it was never going to be found in my own sweat or among my own piles of trophies it could only be found through other people.
0: Again, same person there. The person you just heard in the interview and and that lady doing a TED Talk uh, in her hometown. Again, we'll have links to Rebecca's stuff in our show notes on RKP. For sure, check out that TED Talk, amazing thing. And uh, yeah. I think you're gonna find a, a whole new side to, to the queen of pain.
1: Yeah, no question. Great interview and yeah, definitely check that out. Thanks so much for getting that one, Hottie. That was fantastic. And let's now go ahead and shift on to the news. Uh, seven cycles. Yeah, he's celebrating twenty years. They've been around for twenty years. Which you know what that means?
3: Uh, that, that means I've
1: been that means I've been lusting after Seven Cycles <laughs> for twenty years. Is what it means. <laughs> yeah. I mean is is there is there anyone who has been you know a a lover of bicycles, whether from afar or has a collection of their own, who hasn't looked at some of the handiwork of Seven and just said, oh, I would love to have one of those. I, I never yeah. have had one, but oh, man.
3: What, yeah. What
1: gorgeous work they've done.
3: Uh, pretty stunning stuff. Yeah. And, you know, they need – they deserve a shout-out because – you know, by the time a small independent like this reaches 20 years, there's usually been some sort of change in ownership. You know, one of the founding partners has left. It's been sold. Uh, you don't usually get to 20 years with the original collection of, of owners all intact. And I think it's a real tribute uh, to Rob Vandermark's leadership and management, um, it's it's truly a, a momentous thing. And the other thing is, you know, the entire time they've been around, they've just been pumping out tons of bikes. Uh, I was talking with someone recently and uh, it came up and they're like, well, I mean, what are they doing? Maybe five, 600 bikes a year? I was like, no, north of a thousand. And they're like, no, no, no. Seven in 20 years has produced more than 30,000 bicycles. And wow. some, somewhere north of 80% of those are custom. They're all hand-built, you know, in the greater Boston area. But, you know, I mean, more than 80% of them are custom. And to reach those kind of numbers with, you know, that much custom production is really a testament to a fantastic management style. Um, their, their policies, their procedures... And then the quality of people they hire uh, is just really stellar. It's, you know, I've got a lot of friends in the bike industry and there are a lot of people I respect in the bike industry. And seven is one of those that continues to be kind of my benchmark for class in how they conduct themselves, you know, how they've marketed themselves, the people they associate themselves with, you know, when you meet the people they hire Um, it's, you know, I, I, I hope at some point I've done something that people say, well, you know, yeah, that's, that's of that same sort of class and caliber. Um, I'd be honored to, to have something I do be compared to what they've achieved.
1: Yeah, no question. Yeah. So kudos and, uh, here's to another 20 years for seven cycles. (laughs) Holy cow. Yeah.
3: What a thing that would be. (laughs)
0: Patrick, what's the name by the way? Is there a quick story about 7 the name?
3: You know, in as they were founding the company, the number 7 just kept coming up over and over <laughs> and over. There were there were 7 people kind of loosely involved initially um and there I yeah, I've been told the story, but the 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 readers digest version is every time they turned around it was 7 of this, 7 of that. And they're like well, I guess it's our lucky number. Okay. <laughs> Creepy.
1: <laughs> Not really. No. Um, <laughs> just I'm just superstitious. So, uh, moving on from seven. How about disc brakes on road bikes? Oh gosh. There's been another letter from the CPA. That's the Writers Association, not certified public accountant, uh, to the UCI saying they don't want disc brakes. What is going on with that?
3: Oh, you know, this is this is one of those ramparts that just everyone is going to die on. You know, they're, they're going to throw the entire army against this, and you know, it's just going to be a bloody mess, though not literally. So, yeah, they they just they don't like how this thing's being implemented. They don't like the mixing. Of, of discs with uh, rim calipers. And, you know, I got to say, I don't blame them for that. I, I think the, the field should be one or the other. It shouldn't be this and that. Uh, you've got enough difference in the way the different disc brakes uh, perform that just having them on those, you know, that difference is enough. But to start mixing rim calipers and discs in a pro peloton... That really is kind of a mistake. And so you've got recent wins by Marcel Kittle and Tom Bonin on disc-equipped bikes, whereas, like, the entire rest of their team was on rim calipers. Yeah. Um, and it's like, okay, um, can we just all agree that that was dumb? Uh, <laughs> you know, meanwhile, uh, rather interestingly, Cannondale Drapak uh, will, at the Ruta del Sol, field an entire team with uh bikes with discs and that makes perfect sense to me i mean it's intelligent you know it makes it easier on the mechanics because they're working on the same thing every single day it makes it easier from a neutral support standpoint because it means that the that the mechanics don't have to have you know two different kinds of rear wheels two different kinds of front wheels um it does mean that you know in terms of neutral support they could run into trouble. But, you know, if as long as they have a team vehicle nearby, you know, their riders should be okay in the event of a flat. But uh, some of the some of the things that they had demanded, the CPA that is, um, you know, were rounded edges on uh the rotors. And that some of those rotors have been produced. I understand that Bonin's bike featured them. Um But, you know, they also wanted a cover, this housing over the entire operation. And nobody's done that. And I don't think anyone's going to do it. Um, So, you know, there's, uh, this is an interesting clash of, you know, what the riders want versus what the manufacturers want. And can I just note that, historically speaking, uh, the Riders Association is the flimsiest structure known to man outside of card houses um I, you know it's just they those guys won't stand up for anything they hmm. they won't unite on anything although yeah, this may it's this may be union. the first look, time it's not a yeah. union
0: it's not a union as we know it and it's yeah it's evidenced by this disc brake experience alone look you have boonin and kittle riding disc brakes while 600 plus riders have voted to stop the trial. That's what the letter said. It said six hundred of our writers say we want this thing stopped right now. Yeah. So clearly they're not there's there's no solidarity here. I mean you're not gonna <laughs> see, you know, an actual locking of arms over this issue with the writers. Um, yep. but still they've you know, I think you're right, Patrick, they they have legitimate concerns. Yes, rounded disks sounds like the letter said that they, that they felt like that had been met, that the rounded disc situation had been taken care of. Um, to their liking. Safety guards is still missing. They'd like to see that. They'd like to see, of course, all riders in the peloton on discs once it does go forward. So those are their three demands that they're looking for. But again, they lack solidarity on the issue.
3: Yeah. And I mean, you know, to be fair, you know, because I have been somewhat critical of the reaction of pro riders, um, you know, not some of their complaints have been not necessarily very evidence-based. You know, two of these three requests that they've made are not unreasonable. Um, I think, you know, building some sort of guard uh, housing, you know, around the entire operation, uh, the manufacturers are just going to sneeze at that. Yeah, Um, yeah, it's not going to happen. And, you know, the funny thing is, if they did build it, what's going to happen? It's going to get caught in the wind, somebody's going to go down, and then the riders are going to do what? They're going to lose their minds over the fact that the bike is now unsafe in crosswinds. So, (laughs) you know... uh, um, These aren't the, the, they're not a bunch of rocket scientists. (laughs)
1: So so we all know how this ends eventually, right?
3: Yeah, the manufacturers get what they want. Right.
1: (laughs) Eventually, we will be having all road discs, or or, I'm sorry, all disc disc bikes on road. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I I, I predict that.
3: And five years from now, we're going (laughs) to laugh that everyone was losing their minds over this change.
1: Amen, brother. All right. (laughs) Fair enough. One last uh, news item then. Nika. They're having a really cool auction. A Tom Ritchie hand-built P29 frame. Yeah. Uh, I've seen pictures of this. Oh, so, so gorgeous. And so Tom Ritchie.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah. I mean, hand-built by Ritchie himself. This is not... You know, they're not just... Auctioning off, you know, one of their frames that was produced overseas, um, and you know, it's it's uh, it's basically an update of what the old P26 was. Um, hmm. You know, it's just a it's now a 29er, but it's you know Richie's great uh, handling. Um, it's it's a 19-inch frame, so it'll fit an awful lot of people like me. Like me. Uh, yep. Yeah. Um, but of course, not everyone um not me oh well um <laughs> <laughs>
1: i'll survive
3: but yeah i mean oh hand built by richie you know and 100% did he build this bike, the proceeds, did he build it
0: recently did he yeah. just build i think i saw a video of him building this frame at a frame building school in england i want to say really oh, cool. is that where this happened it may have yeah so oh, a, I, I don't know watch where if you want to watch him work, just look up Tom Ritchie uh, goes to frame building class or something in the video, and you can watch him actually work and talk about some of his thoughts going into building a frame.
3: Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's worth mentioning, you know, Ritchie never TIG welded himself. You know, he was a fillet brazer and, and lug brazer. Yeah. This is a fillet brazed frame. So, so much you know, work. it's, it's. It's not the sort of thing where, you know, you're going to show it to somebody and say, uh, yeah, Tom Ritchie built this, and they're going to look at the TIG welding and go, how do you know? It's fillet braced. It's going to be obvious. This thing is one of a kind. Um, currently, the bid is up to twelve fifty, which is a total steal, um, you know. And, yeah, 100% of the proceeds are going to go to NICA.
0: Man.
1: Man. Yeah, that twelve fifty won't be the final bid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> starting to rub yeah. my what, hands. What, I'd, I'd love to hear your predictions. Where do you think the bidding's going to go to?
3: Oh, I don't know. I mean, all it takes is you know one person with deep pockets, you know, who who decides, you know, yeah, I I like I like Nika, and I want to see some money go to them, and I'll get something cool out of this, you know. I mean, this thing could go five grand. Mm-hmm. It could go ten grand. us uh, hope so. Yeah.
1: You know, I hope it goes good and high. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. So, uh, oh, and uh, it was built recently, but not super recently. This was a bike that was in uh, Richie's uh, booth at NABs back in 2013. So it's actually been around for a little bit. I have seen this frame previously.
0: Go watch the video anyhow. Really cool.
1: Yeah. To be sure. All right. On to the Pace Line Picks, where we talk about things that we have been thinking about that are Possibly, although not necessarily bike-related. In other words, it's the most random segment on a fairly random show. <laughs> it's as if you took random numbers and randomized them. Uh, let's start with you, Michael. All right.
0: My paceline pick is the Oregon Timber Trail. This is kind of like the PCT for bikes, except it's only in Oregon. This April... You will be able to ride your bike from Hood River in the north to Modoc County, California in the south on one continuous off-road trail. The federal government and state tourism groups got together and connected 650 miles of already existing trails to make the Oregon Timber Trail. Thank God they they got it done before the new administration found out about it because the trail goes through five national, that's U.S. government, forests. The trail is 55% single track, and the rest is unpaved forest service and backcountry gravel roads. The ride traverses through Ponderosa Pine forests, Salt Lakes, Cascadian rainforests, Mountain Ranges, and Cinder Cones, whatever those are. It will take anywhere from 10 to 25 days to complete the trail, and trail managers say even though it passes through towns, you should have some uh, bikepacking or backpacking experience. All sides are waiting for a letter of support from the U.S. Forest Service before officially debuting the Oregon Timber Trail with an estimated launch of April. So shh, don't tell that guy at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue about the Oregon Timber Trail. It's for the rest of us, not him. That's my uh, Mums the word.
1: Oh, I like that one. I'm going to go next, and mine is only barely bike-related, as I usually am. Um, have you, did either of you ever ride... The most famous twenty four hour race of all, the twenty four hours of Moab.
3: No, 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 certainly read about it plenty.
1: I'm lucky enough that because of where I lived, it was a pretty easy drive, and I've done, I did it a few times, and it it was huge. And the feeling of that place was amazing. And you know, I've been wanting something kind of like that, and I think I have found it, and I am half an inch away from signing up and it is the Ragnar Trail Zion. There's a hitch though. It's a foot race. Oh, what? <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's right. Oh, it's well a trail you did tell us this race. would only
3: be sort of vaguely almost sort of kind of bike related. Yeah, you well, warned us.
1: Okay. I, I I loved the mountain biking uh 24-hour events. This is not necessarily a 24-hour event, although that's kind of about the amount of time it takes most teams eight Four or eight people be, are on a team and they take turns running one of three different loops and everyone has to do it in in the correct order. And most people, if you're on an eight-person team, you wind up running around 15 miles. If you're on a four-person team, you wind up running around 30 miles. Oof. I have been running exactly zero miles, but this has got me really intrigued, doing a team event Running through the night, the, the camaraderie of a relay like this, I love that. I love the endurance relays, the working together, crewing for each other, waiting in the in the starting pit to hand off a baton. Um, it's got me super excited about doing an endurance trail running thing. So I'm getting out the shoes and I'm going to start doing a little bit of running training. Love it. It'll be good cross training. Yeah, be good. Wow. So you do Absolutely.
0: some running then
1: already? You know, I have done, um, you know, I've I've done the Boston Marathon, I've done the New York Marathon, Boston? I've done what? I've done what an Ironman, I've done a number of half Ironman, so I can run. I've done Xterra of you know several times, so yeah, I, I can put together a a run. I'm not a good runner. I, I do most, I make up most of my time on the bike. But yeah, I can I can get myself into reasonable shape, and with the weight that I've lost, I can run now again without a ton of pain. Uh, okay. um, when when I'm up into the 170s, then running hurts. It hurts fast. Yeah. Um, now that I'm into the lower 160s, you know I, I can work my way up to a you know a seven or eight or nine mile trail run in a month or so, and I have till May to <laughs> to get ready for this. So I'm putting together a team. Awesome. Wow. So you'll hear more. Holy cow. The pace line, it's not just for bikes anymore. Oh, God. <laughs> the <laughs> running edition of
0: the pace line.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, Why not? Man. Why not? Okay. I bet there are a lot of riders who also do some running. It is. I mean, for, I think that if there are two sports that are close cousins, I would say yeah. endurance running and endurance riding yes. are it. Yeah. yeah. So... Anyway, on to you, Pat.
3: <laughs> okay. Uh, so, my pick is a little closer to home. Uh, uh, SRAM has released the red ETAP Wi Fly rear derailleur, which you can now pair with an 1132 cassette. So, for anybody who's wanting to put uh, ETAP on an adventure bike, like I did with my mm. Dinucci, you can now have some really low gears for steep climbs. Um, one of the things that I found with my Danucci and the Etap setup I had was with a thirty-four twenty-eight low gear, there were certain climbs around here that I was limited uh, in my ability to ascend. Uh, Bald mountain nearby, I couldn't, I couldn't get up it. There were pitches there. I mean, like there's a twenty-nine percent pitch in it. Okay, thirty-four twenty-eight couldn't do it. Um, thirty-four thirty-two now I can get it. Uh, I'm moving at like 2.9 miles per hour, but hey, I'm still pedaling up it. But it was one of those things that when I reviewed uh, the ETAP group, I noted that, you know, there was this limitation, but now the limitation's gone. They have the Y-Fly rear derailleur, and I expect that an awful lot of people who've been interested in this group uh, will now see it as uh you know a a good solution uh to building a bike uh an even better solution shall we say so i'm pretty excited about that just put it on my bike
0: can i say something to shram real quick oh boy um what if i say no no No, hello (laughs) shram could you please get out into the market the hydro disc shram etap which we have seen on some bikes on some websites but no one seems to be able to come up with this group set. Please, we need that group set out
1: here. Okay, that's all I wanted to say. It's not so much to ask, guys. <laughs> come on. If Hottie asks for it, you gotta do it.
0: I know some disappointed customers out there want they want the SRAM ETAP Hydro Disc, and they see it on spec on bikes on websites and and dealers are saying we can't get it yet, we can't get it yet. So it needs to get out there. It'll come. Sooner or
1: later. Yeah. Yeah, right at home. So what's, uh, what's coming up on RKP?
3: Well, uh, I just mentioned my Danucci. After some months of laboring over this review, uh, it's finally up in two different pieces. One kind of tackles the technical parameters of the bike, you know, what went into the fit and the geometry. And then there's a, a larger piece about, you know, the, the building of the bike itself and uh, the background of Mark Danucci. You know this guy; he doesn't have the same sort of uh, resume in the media the way a guy like Richard Sachs does, or even Peter Weigel, who's been, you know, much more off the radar than Sachs. Um, and so his name's just not known in the way that it ought to be. But you know what he has done over the years, and I really only scratched the surface of it. But uh, I called the piece of, about the building of the bike the master and. I've met a lot of builders. I've met a lot of really impressive people. I've met people with a really broad skill set. I don't know a better builder with a broader skill set. And uh, the resulting bike from this has been pretty incredible. And I, I basically just lay it out and said, you know, look, this isn't really a bike review. It's a celebration, you know, of what a great custom bike could be. I, I'm not going to try to claim that I was objective.
1: More of a love letter, which is appropriate for the day after (laughs) Valentine's. You know, a lot of love in this episode of the pace line, right? So, a lot of love for Rebecca, a lot of love for uh, this bike, a lot, a lot of love for well, for everything. So, yeah, hearts all around. We we love bicycles. I wonder if anyone's ever noticed that (laughs) about the three of us—that we do tend to like our bikes. I think that's it for this episode. Everyone, thanks so much for listening. If you haven't reviewed us or rated us, please do. And say something nice about me, you know, even if I am self-absorbed. Thanks. <laughs> for, for Patrick, for Michael, I'm Fatty, and you've been listening to The Paceline.
3: Somewhere during that conversation, my cat decided he needed to be in my lap and, like, got tangled in the cable for my earbuds.